ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then, we're on the section regarding Avkarul Wudu, the supplications that you're supposed to say when making Wudu. Rawal Imam Ahmad, wa Abu Dawood, wa Ibn Majah, wa Ghayruhum. من حديث أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه قال لا صلاة لمن لا وضوء له ولا وضوء لمن لم يذكر اسم الله عليه This is a hadith which is mentioned by some of the scholars reported by Al-Imam Ahmed and <clears throat> Al-Imam Abu Dawood and Al-Imam Ibn Majah and other than them from the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu said there is no prayer for someone who has no wudu there is no prayer for someone who has no wudu and there is no wudu for someone who doesn't say bismillah at the beginning so there is no prayer for somebody who doesn't have wudu and there is no wudu for somebody who doesn't say bismillah at the start wa huwa hadithun hasanun bi وقد حسنه غير واحد من أهل العلم وهو دال على مشروعية التسمية في أول الوضوء The hadith is authentic There are several scholars who have mentioned that this hadith is authentic That there is no prayer for somebody who hasn't got wudu and you can't have wudu if you didn't start it with bismillah at the beginning. If you didn't say bismillah when starting your wudu, then you haven't got wudu, it doesn't count. The hadith obviously therefore indicates that you're supposed to say bismillah when starting to make the wudu. لكن اختلف العلماء رحمهم الله في حكمها. The scholars differed over the actual ruling. The scholars differed over the ruling of saying Bismillah at the beginning of wudu. Do you have to say Bismillah when you start making wudu? Or is it still okay if you didn't say it? 
They differed over this. The majority of the scholars, they say that it is mustahab to say bismillah at the beginning of making wudu. وَذَهَبَ بَعْضُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ إِلَى الْقَوْلِ بِوُجُوبِهَا Some of the scholars though took a different opinion. They said it is obligatory. It is obligatory to say the Bismillah at the beginning of the wudu. إِذَا كَانَ عَالِمًا بِالْحُكْمِ ذَاكِرًا لَهَا They say it is an obligation to say the Bismillah if of course you know the ruling that you're supposed to say it and you don't forget. If somebody doesn't even know the ruling that you're supposed to say Bismillah at the beginning of wudu so they just make wudu without saying it, their wudu will be okay. Because they don't even know you're supposed to say it. Or if somebody knew but forgot, then your wudu is okay as well. You just forgot to say the bismillah. But if you know you're supposed to say it, and you remember but you purposely don't say it and you just make your wudu, according to this group of scholars, your wudu would be invalid. Well, if you remember it afterwards... That means you forgot at the time when you were making wudu. You don't have to repeat your wudu then. You don't have to repeat it if you forgot at the time when you were making wudu and you only remembered afterwards. Remember, this is all based upon the opinion of the scholars who say it's an obligation. The majority of the scholars say it's not an obligation anyway. So even if you remembered and you didn't say it, you just made the wudu, it would count. That's the opinion of the majority of the scholars. وَقَدْ سُئِلَ الْإِمَامَ الشَّيْخِ عَبْدُ الْعَزِيزِ إِبْنُ بَازِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ عَنْ حُكْمِ مَنْ تَرَكَ التَّسْمِيَ فِي الْوُضُوءِ نَاسِيَا الشيخ بن باز one of the great scholars he was asked about the ruling if somebody forgot to say the Bismillah before starting the wudu, he said, "Al ذَهَبَ جُمْهُورُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ إِلَى صِحَّةِ الْوُضُوءِ بِدُونِ تَسْمِيَةٍ." The majority of the scholars they say your wudu is valid even without saying Bismillah at the beginning. وَذَهَبَ بَعْضُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ إِلَىٰ وُجُوبِ التَّسْمِيَ مَعَ الْعِلْمِ وَالذِّكْرِ But the other group of scholars, they say, if you know the ruling and you remember, then it's an obligation that you must say it. The first group of scholars said what? They said even if you know it and you remember, it's still only mustahab that you say it. You still don't have to, your wudu is okay. The second group of scholars, they say, if you know the ruling that you're supposed to say the Bismillah, and you remember, then you have to say it before you start your wudu. لِمَا رُوِيَ عَنْهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَنَّهُ قَالْ 
لا وضوء لمن لم يذكر اسم الله عليه that there is no wudu for the one who does not say the name of Allah upon it. Meaning there is no wudu for the one who does not begin with Bismillah. لكن من تركها ناسياً أو جاهلاً فوضوءه صحيح. Sheikh bin Baz, he goes on to say, but whoever doesn't say it because he doesn't know the ruling, he doesn't know that you're supposed to say it, or he forgets, then his wudu is still valid, it's okay. وَلَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ إِعَادَتُهُ وَلَوْ قُلْنَا بِوُجُوبِ التَّسْمِيَةِ And it is not upon him to have to repeat it, even if we say the opinion about obligation. Even the scholars who say it's an obligation, they say if you forget, then it's okay. Even they say that. If you forget though, it's okay. لِأَنَّهُ مَعَذُورٌ بِالْجَهْلُ وَالنِّسْيَانِ Because the person genuinely just forgot, so he's not accountable for that. His wudu still counts. And Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِن نَسِيْنَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا that our Lord do not hold us accountable if we forget or we make a mistake. وَقَدْ صَحَّ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ سُبْحَانَهُ قَدْ اسْتَجَابَ هَذَا الدُّعَاءِ And it is mentioned from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Allah answered this dua وبذلك تعلم أنك إذا نسيت التسمية في أول الوضوء ثم ذكرتها في أثنائه فإنك تسمي وليس عليك أن تعيد أولا لأنك معذور بالنسيان انتهى كلامه So he said that if you forget then your wudu still counts it's okay If you remember in the middle of the wudu you can just say it anyway then just say it but if you remember afterwards you don't have to come back and repeat the wudu and say it at the beginning or anything like that so two main opinions about saying the basmalah bismillah at the beginning of the wudu one opinion the majority of the scholars say it is mustahab so it's a recommendation you should do it even if you don't your wudu is valid Second opinion, they say it is not just mustahab, it is an obligation if you know about the ruling to say it and you remember. If you don't know about this ruling in the first place or you forget, then it's okay, your wudu will still be valid. So according to the majority opinion, it's recommended. Say it, it's good. But if you don't, your wudu is still completely valid. أما الدعاء على أعضاء الوضوء في أثناء الوضوء كل عضو بدعاء مخصوص بأن يجعل لغسل اليد دعاء ولغسل الوجه دعاء 
وللقدم دعاء ونحو ذلك فهذا لم يثبت فيه شيء عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وليس للمسلم أن يعمل بشيء من ذلك So before you start the wudu what is established that it is sunnah it is mustahab you should start with the bismillah during the wudu as you are making wudu some people say there is a dua you should make after every body part so you do your face and you should make a dua you do your arms you should make a dua you wipe on your head you should make a dua you wash your feet you should make a dua every body part you finish make a dua afterwards but is that sunnah no there is no sunnah to make dua after every body part there is no dua which has been mentioned that you're supposed to do after every body part there is no dua which is mentioned there ومن ذلك قول بعضهم عند المضمضة One of the examples of one of the things that they say Some people say when they are doing wudu When they wash out their mouths When they wash out their mouths They say اللهم استني من حوض نبيك كأسا لا أضمأ بعده أبدا and you can see that this is kind of something which has been made up. It's not a sunnah or a statement. That they say, oh Allah, give me a drink from the water of the hawd, the pond of the Prophet ﷺ, so that I never become thirsty after that ever again. It's mentioned the people who drink from the hawd of the Prophet ﷺ will not be thirsty after that again. So they do the madmada and they say, Allahumma sqini min hawdi nabiyyika ka'san la azma ba'dahu abada. That is bid'ah. It is not in the sunnah. There is no hadith for you to say this. Oh Allah, give me a drink from the pond of the Prophet ﷺ on the day of judgment so that I never become thirsty again when you're washing out your mouth. That is not established. وَعِنْدَ And when they are cleaning the nose out, when they're cleaning the nose out, they say, Allahumma. لا تحرمني رائحة نعيمك وجناتك Oh Allah, do not deprive me of the smell of your blessing in paradise. Do not deprive me of the smell of your blessing in paradise. You know, you can see, just because it's connected they have made up these du'as. Oh Allah, don't stop me from smelling paradise when you're washing your nose out. And then, when you're washing the face, Allahumma bayyid wajhi yawma tabiyadhu wujuh wa taswaddu wujuh. In the Quran it mentions on that day there are going to be faces 
that become darkened and blackened and there are going to be faces that become whitened and enlightened so that when they're washing their face they say oh Allah make my face enlightened on that day whitened on that day on the day when some faces will become whitened and some will become darkened and when he's washing the hands Allahumma a'atini kitabi biyamini Allahumma la tu'atini kitabi bishimali When they wash in the hands Oh Allah give me my book of records in my right hand You know in the Quran it mentions the righteous are going to get their book of deeds in their right hands And the non-righteous are going to get their books in their left hands so when they're washing, they say, Oh Allah, give me my book in my right hand and do not give it to me in my left hand as you're washing your hands. And when they're wiping their head, Allahumma harrim sha'ri wa bashari ala nar. Oh Allah, make my hair and my skin forbidden from the fire. When you're wiping your head, make my hair and my skin forbidden upon the fire. Do not put them into contact with the hellfire. وَعِنْدَ مَسْحِ الْأُذْنِ اللَّهُمَّ جَعَلْنِي مِنَ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَمِعُونَ الْقَوْلَ فَيَتَّبِعُونَ أَحْسَنَةِ Oh Allah, make me from those who hear the good speech or hear the truth and follow the best of it. When we hear the statements, we follow the truth. Make us from those who follow the truth of the statements we hear. And when washing the feet, Allahumma thabbit qadami or qadamiya ala sirat. Oh Allah, make my feet firm upon the bridge crossing over the hellfire. All of these statements have no basis to them. All of these statements have no basis to them. But MashaAllah, he's the ones who thought of these alim, all different things about Yawm Al-Qiyamah, about different, make my feet firm and prevent me from hellfire, give me my book with my right hand. He made a lot of things. But all of these things, it is not sunnah, it is not any dua to say these things when you're making the wudu. It is bid'ah. Bid'ah, if you start saying these things when making the wudu, it is made up by the people. They have made these supplications up. They are not in the sunnah. Walwajib ala al-Muslim al-iqtisar ala ma jaat bihi sunnah. What is obligated upon us is that we suffice with what is mentioned in the sunnah. Walbud amma ahdathahu al-nasu ba'da thalik. And to stay away from what the people have innovated, invented after that. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala said, وَأَمَّا الْأَذْكَارُ الَّتِي يَقُولُهَا الْعَامَّةُ عَلَى الْوُضُوءِ عِنْدَ كُلِّ عُضْوٍ فَلَا أَصْلَ لَهَا عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم Ibn al-Qayyim, he said, all of these du'as, people, they say after every body part when making wudu, there is no basis to them from the Prophet 
ولا عن أحد من الصحابة والتابعين nor is there any basis to these supplications from the companions or the tabi'een nothing ولا الأئمة الأربعة nor not even the four imams al-imam Ahmad, al-imam Shafi'i, al-imam Malik, al-imam Abu Hanifa none of them said anything like this وَفِيهَا حَدِيثِ there is a hadith though. There is a hadith about it. But it is kathib. Ala Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi It is a fabricated, made-up hadith. It's not even a real hadith. There is a made-up hadith, a lie. People spread that you're supposed to say these things and the Prophet said say them. It's a made-up hadith. Fabricated hadith. It's not even a hadith. Those are known as the mawdu'ah narrations. The narrations that are fabricated. And some of the scholars, they wrote books putting together all of the fabricated narrations in them. Kitab al-Mawdu'at of Ibn al-Jawzi and others. They wrote books where they put together all of the fabricated hadith in them. So that you can check and you can see, ah, this one's a fabricated one. All of the fabricated ones are in that book. So somebody tells you a hadith and you think it might be fabricated, you can go check and if it's there in the book, then you know it's one of the fabricated ones. You put all the fabricated ones together so you can easily check if they're fabricated. And there are some examples like that when they used to fabricate makeup hadith. They used to make them up sometimes. Why would they make up hadith? Why would people make up hadith? Possibly sometimes people would make up hadith so they could defend their position. They've taken a certain position about something and they want some evidence to back themselves up. So they used to make up hadith sometimes. For example, the uh, four schools of thought, the famous ones, Hanbali Madhab, the Shafi'i Madhab, the Maliki Madhab, and the Hanafi Madhab. It is mentioned, some of them said, the Hanafis, some of them fabricated a hadith saying, Sayati ala hadihil ummah, Sayati ala hadihil ummah, Rajulun. Shaddu alayha min iblis or something like that. Sayati ala hadihil ummah rajulun ashaddu alayha min iblis or something similar. Ismuhu Muhammad ibn Idris. There will come a man upon this ummah. They say this is a hadith. There will come a man upon this ummah more severe and dangerous than iblis himself. His name will be Muhammad ibn Idris. Say it's a hadith. A man will come upon this ummah more dangerous than Iblis himself. His name will be Muhammad ibn Idris. They say it's a hadith. Who's Muhammad ibn Idris? Muhammad ibn Idris? Al-Imam Shafi'i. His name was Muhammad ibn Idris. So some of the Hanafis, the followers, the blind followers, they made up this hadith. Faking that the Prophet said there's going to be a man who's going to be more dangerous than Iblis. Stay away from him. His name is going to be Muhammad ibn Idris. And that's obviously Al-Imam al Fabricated narration. Fabricated. 
There are other examples when they used to fabricate hadith as well uh, to promote good. Sometimes they might have good intentions. But obviously, even if you've got good intention, you can't fabricate and make up hadith. You're lying against the Prophet then. But some of them, with good intention, they used to sometimes do it. There's an example where one time people had abandoned the Qur'an. They weren't reciting the Qur'an much. Nobody was giving any importance to the Qur'an. So, there was a hadith that whoever reads the Qur'an will get this much reward, that much reward, loads of reward mentioned in this hadith. So one of the narrators, when he heard about this hadith, it was the first time he heard about it. That if you read the Qur'an, you get this reward and that reward and this reward. So he asked his shaykh, the one he heard this hadith from, who did you hear this hadith from? Where from? His shaykh told him, I heard it from my shaykh, who lives in some other country, who was still alive. So this student went and traveled all the way to the other country to meet the shaykh of his shaykh. And he asked him, he said, you know, I heard this hadith from my shaykh. He says he got it from you, you're his shaykh. Where did you find out about this hadith from? He said, I heard it from my shaykh, who was still alive as well, in some other country. So then the student went to that one. He said, I've been told by my shaykh and his shaykh that they heard from you. He said, no, I heard from my shaykh, who lives in some other country. So then the student went to that shaykh. When he got to that sheikh, he said, look, I, I asked my sheikh, he asked his sheikh, his sheikh, about this hadith about the Qur'an. And they all sent me back to you. You're the source that it's all coming back to. So where did you get this hadith from? Where did you hear it? Which companion? How? He said, to be honest, I never heard this hadith from anywhere. I never heard this hadith from anywhere. I made it up. Because the people you can see, they had abandoned the Qur'an. They weren't reciting the Qur'an. They were negligent. So I decided, let me just give them some encouragement. So I made up the hadith. Whoever recites the Qur'an, you'll get this much reward, that much reward. Made it up just to encourage the people to read the Qur'an more. So his intention was like a good intention. But what he did was haram. How many people, they have good intentions, but they don't actually end up doing good. So that was wrong too. There's another example. Al-Imam Ahmad and I think Yahya ibn Ma'in. One time they went to a mosque. Al-Imam Ahmad and Al-Imam Yahya ibn Ma'in. They went to a mosque. And there was a khatib. There was somebody, the imam of the mosque. And he was giving a khutbah or a lecture or something. And he was quoting different hadith in that lecture. And, uh, and in those days, when they used to quote hadith, they would quote the full chain of narration. That I heard from my sheikh, whose name is such and such, who heard from his sheikh, his name is such and such, who heard from such and such, such and such, from the Prophet And then they would narrate the hadith. That's how they used to do it. So he was giving this khutbah. Every time he quoted a hadith, he would quote who he heard from he heard from the chain of narration so he quoted a particular hadith he said حدثني الإمام أحمد 
قال حدثني يحيى بن معين قال حدثني فلان 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 and then he mentioned some hadith he said I heard from Imam Ahmad who heard from Yahya ibn Ma'in who heard from such and such such and such and then he narrated this hadith of course Imam Ahmad and Yahya ibn Ma'in were there sitting in the audience so afterwards when it finished they came up to him and they said you know that one hadith you narrated in your khutbah or in your lecture and you said the chain of narration this particular hadith whatever the hadith was that you heard it from Alima Muhammad, from Yahya ibn Ma'in, from Fulan, from Fulan, from the Prophet He said, well, Ana Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Yahya ibn Ma'in. He said, I'm Ahmad ibn Hanbal, and this is Yahya ibn Ma'in, and we never ever narrated this hadith. The Imam, that person had obviously just made it up. Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Yahya ibn Ma'in and Fulan and Fulan made it up. They said, I'm Ahmad ibn Hanbal. This is Yahya ibn Ma'in. We've never narrated this hadith you're apparently saying you got from us. Where have you got it from? We never narrated that hadith. Fabricated, you made it up. So you know what he said? He knew now he'd been caught out. He'd been caught out. He's pretending he's heard these made up hadith. He's quoting chains of narration, saying Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Yahya ibn Ma'in, and they, a coincidence, happened to be there that they heard him say it. So now he knows he's caught, caught lying and making up these chains of narration. So then you know what he said? He said, no, no, I'm talking about a different Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and a different Yahya ibn Ma'in, they narrated it to me. Not you two, different one, different one. There was another Ahmad ibn Hanbal, there was another Yahya ibn Ma'in, they told me this hadith. Obviously, he's just lying again. So, these fabricated narrations, they do exist. Uh, and this, this one here, making all of these different du'as after every body part that you wash, it is a fabrication. It is not in the sunnah. يُسْتَحَبُّ لِلْمُسْلِمِ أن يقول عقب فراغه من الوضوء. But there is another hadith for an established du'a you are supposed to make at the end of wudu. When you finish the wudu, there is a hadith about a du'a that you are supposed to say at the end. And that is أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأن محمدا عبده أو عبد الله ورسوله. To say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa anna muhammadan abdullah, wa rasooluhu, lima thabata fi sahih muslim an uqbat ibn amir, qal, kanat alayna ri'ayatul ibil, fajaat nawbati, fajaat nawbati, farawahtuha bi'ashi, ay radattuha ila makani rahatiha fi akhir nahar, فأدركت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قائما يحدث الناس فأدركت من قوله ما من مسلم يتوضأ فيحسن وضوءه ثم يقوم فيصلي ركعتين مقبل عليها بقلبه ووجهه إلا وجبت له الجنة قال فقلت ما أجود هذه فإذا قائل بين يدي يقول التي قبلها أجود فنظرت فإذا عمر رضي الله عنه قال إني رأيتك حين جئت آنفا 
قال ما منكم من احد يتوضا فيبلغ او فيصبغ الوضوء ثم يقول اشهد ان لا اله الا الله وان محمدا عبد الله ورسوله الا فتحت له ابواب الجنه الثمانيه يدخل من ايها شاء in this hadith of uqbah ibn amir radiyallahu anhu he says that we were all taking turns in looking after the camels so my turn came and i took the camels like the the barn or the stable where they sleep the night i took the camels to that place there when i took them there he said i heard the messenger who was nearby somewhere I heard him talking to the people and I heard him saying to them that there is not a Muslim who makes wudu and makes it properly then stands and prays two raka'at facing or, or uh, with his heart focused and facing with his face and heart everything body and mind focused except that he'll get paradise but i heard the messenger say somebody who makes wudu a muslim who makes wudu and makes it properly then stands up and prays focused mind and body to rak'at or uh, the prayer except that he'll be given paradise so uqbah ibn amir said that's excellent how wonderful that is how wonderful that is but then somebody nearby said to him the thing which is before that is even more wonderful so i looked he says umar ibn uh, uh, ibn amir uqbah ibn amir said i looked and it was umar ibn al-khattab and umar ibn al-khattab he was saying that i saw you and you came just a while ago and you uh, and then he told him that actually there is none from amongst you who makes wudu and makes it properly then says ashhadu an la ilaha illa allah wa anna muhammadan abdullahi wa rasuluh except that the eight or the gates of paradise the eight gates of paradise are opened up you can go in from wherever you want the one who makes the wudu makes it properly and then says ashhadu an la ilaha illa allah wa anna muhammadan abdullahi wa rasuluh except that the eight gates of paradise are opened up you can go in from wherever you want in another narration there's an extra part and the extra part is allahumma ij'alni min at-tawwabin wa ij'alni min al-mutatahhirin that oh allah make me from those who are repentful we seek forgiveness and make us from the pure and that is established so you can say ashhadu an la ilaha illa allah wa anna muhammadan abdullahi wa rasuluh Allahumma ij'alni min at-tawwabin wa ij'alni min al-mutatahhirin So that is a dua mentioned for after the wudu Right now then what have we got We have a dua that, or something that you're supposed to say before the wudu and that is to say Bismillah and the ruling on saying it is mustahab according to the majority of the scholars then what duas do we have during the wudu none they are not established it is 
fabricated narrations, bid'ah if you say those ones. At the end of the wudu then do we have anything? Yes, this dua we just done. So there is a dua before making your wudu and one after you've made wudu. Nothing in between as you are making the wudu. Then after that, any questions up to there so far before we move on to the next section? The one who, ma minkum min ahadin, there is none from amongst you who makes the wudu and perfects it and then says, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anna muhammadan abdullahi wa rasuluh except that the eight gates of paradise are opened up and he can enter from wherever he wishes. That hadith in Muslim, Sahih Muslim, hadith of Uqbat ibn Amir radiyallahu anhu. There is another narration. There is one more mentioned. Uh, you can also say at the end, it is established, Sheikh Al Albani declared the narration to be authentic. Subhanaka Allahumma wa bihamdika la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilik. Because there is a hadith. مَنْ تَوَضَّأَ ثُمَّ قَالْ سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمَّ وَبِحَمْدِكَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتْ أَسْتَغْفِرُكَ وَأَتُوبُ إِلَيْكَ كُتِبَ فِي رِقٍ ثُمَّ طُبِعَ بِطَابِعٍ فَلَمْ يَكْسِرْ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ This hadith, which is authentic as the Shaykh Al-Albani mentioned, it tells you there about this dua to say Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdika La ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk That is a possibility which can be added on and it can be said at the end as well but besides those supplications then there are no other duas that's why they say for the wudu there are only two supplications proven for the wudu one at the beginning one at the end Bismillah at the beginning and these du'as at the end. And that's it. There is nothing else established in the wudu during it after every body part. Make my face enlightened on the day of judgment. Keep my feet firm upon the bridge. All of those things are fabricated. La asla laha. There is no basis to any of those narrations. Anything else on that? What does it mean? Because the hadith says whoever makes wudu and perfects his wudu have to perfect your wudu and then say this dua and you get that reward. How do you perfect your wudu? What does it mean? Isbaghul wudu. Okay. Ikhlas, sincerity in doing your wudu as an act of worship in accordance to the sunnah. Okay. But there's something else about isbagh al wudu. There is another hadith about that. That's true about the reward of repeating the wudu even though you've already got wudu. So imagine at dhuhr time, you make wudu and you pray dhuhr. And your wudu doesn't break. And now asr time comes. But you decide to go make wudu again anyway. 
It hasn't broken, you can go pray. But you decide to go repeat the wudu anyway. That's good. That is mentioned in the sunnah. But isbah has another meaning as well. What do you mean? It basically just means Isbaghul wudu How we translate it in English Perfection of wudu They explain it That you wash each body part Properly and carefully And you don't miss anything All of the body parts Are washed properly and carefully And nothing is missed out All of the sunnah Implemented properly and carefully On all the body parts Isbaghul wudu that every body part is washed properly and carefully, exactly how you're supposed to, up to the right parts, you've done isbah of the wudu. But somebody just quickly splashing it about here and there, maybe miss parts and all that, then that's not isbah. So the isbah al wudu, when it talks about it, is that you perfect your wudu. You properly and carefully do every body part of washing. Because we know the narrations as well, if you miss a body part, then your wudu is invalid. When the Prophet saw a man who made wudu and he missed a tiny space out on his foot, like the size of a, a coin, missed the size of a coin out on his foot, water didn't go on it. The Prophet said to him, go back and repeat the wudu, go and do it again, you must complete it properly. Cannot miss anything out. That's why when you make wudu, the scholars, they mention the conditions. You have to make sure that there's nothing blocking the water getting onto the body parts of wudu, for example. So if you had some chemicals on there, you've been doing some work, whatever it might be, and those chemicals are waterproof, and they stick like certain types of gloss paint and things like that. When they stick, then water doesn't go through them. So you have to remove all that first. Then you make your wudu. Huh? Tattoos? Well, tattoos are haram anyway. But the. Oh, so if you, if you, uh, tattoos, if you had a tattoo from before, from before you became practicing or Muslim, before you knew that it's impermissible to get tattoos, so then the tattoo, the scholars, they say the ruling is. If you got it before, before you knew, before you were practicing, whatever, the ruling is you have to try to remove it. And there are techniques these days, laser and all sorts, and some bleachers with whatever techniques. They have some techniques. Tattoos can be removed. So primarily, if you are able to remove it, you're supposed to remove it. You might not be able because those laser techniques cost a few thousand pounds, whatever else, and... Maybe medically they tell you you can't do it for some reason. If you can't do any of that, then the tattoo has to be left. There's nothing more you can really do with it. You're not supposed to. Some people say, what if I get another tattoo on top of it? Like just a blackout. So at least there's no, nothing there, it's just a blackout. Some scholars, they said, you can't. Tattooing is haram. You can't get another tattoo on top of the first tattoo to block it out. So you try to remove it, do your best to remove it. If you can't, you cover it up and keep it covered. When you make wudu, that's it. When you make wudu, you make the wudu like that. That's all you can do. No, that's obviously a big problem. If you have this, the scholars have said, either remove it. If you're not able to remove it, you have to cover it up. You can't just leave your tattoos out. If they're on your arms, cover your arms. Wear sleeves that are long. If there's nothing else you can do. Hmm.
It's not befitting to have these tattoos out, especially crosses and things like that. But ideally, you're supposed to try and remove it. That's the first thing. If you absolutely can't, then you cover it up and leave it as it is then. Uh, if you're wearing a bandage, imagine you got some injury, and you're wearing a bandage, and you can't take that bandage off. You've got some injury, skin's been ripped off, you can't take it off, and you can't put water on it, bandages on, it has to stay. So what do you do? Are you going to make wudu? Your left arm is bandaged up. So then you make wudu everywhere else, wash the rest of your arms, and that part, you just have to wipe over the top of it. That's it. Wipe over the top of the bandage. If you have some other injury, where you can't put water onto it, maybe there's no bandage, but you fell and you banged your head, you scraped all your skin off it, or your arm or something, and you can't put water on that part. Right now, for some reason, whatever thing you've got, you can't put some water there. So you make wudu the rest of the body as, as best as you can. And then for that section, you, you do like a, a tayammum, basically. Just with, with dust, you know, or tayammum is done to cover the fact that you've not been able to do the full wudu body parts. But we covered that a while ago. We did uh, the full chapter of purification in detail. Anything else? In that case, we'll round off. We'll carry on next week. The next week chapter is the supplications for coming to the prayer, entering the mosque, and exiting from the mosque. When you leave your homes and come to pray, there's a dua. When you get to the mosque and you come in, there's a dua. When you're going to leave, there's a dua. That's the chapter we'll start with next week, inshaAllah ta'ala. Go ahead. If, uh, if people are praying, if you come into the mosque and the jama'ah is going on, so you're a bit late and the jama'ah has started, everybody's lined up and they're praying, then the scholars, they say, it is makruh to give the salam. Because you're going to disturb everybody in the prayer. Just come and join. Come and join the prayer. After the prayer, you can give salams to people, do what you want. So if you walk into the mosque and the jama'ah is going on, you shouldn't give salam. Just come and join the prayer. They say it's one of the times... There are certain times when it's makruh to give salam. That's one of them. That's what some of the scholars have mentioned. When you walk in and the jama'ah is going on, don't disturb people. Just join the jama'ah, pray. Afterwards, give salam to who you want. Also, they say, imagine a, a circle is going on like this, a lesson. They say, this is a makruh time. Somebody walks in, then you shouldn't give salam if a circle is going on. In the, it's, it's just a recommendation, they say. You shouldn't give salam in this time. Because everybody is now in the circle, teaching, listening, focusing, making notes. Just come quietly, sit down. After the class, you can give salams, talk to everybody, do what you want. In the wudu area, you're making wudu. Somebody walks in now, you see other people already there making wudu, don't give salam. People are focusing on their wudu, you give salam, they turn around everything, he forgets where he was. So you don't disturb people in the middle of wudu. There are, there are 14, 14 times. 15? 14, I think. 14, maybe it's recommendation. Maybe some of them say 15. 14, 15 different times where they say it's recommended just stay quiet afterwards give the salam. So that's one of them. If the jama'ah is going on, if the jama'ah is not going on, you walk in and people are just sitting about, yeah, it's before the time, you give salam, no problem. Hmm. Yeah, that's okay, that's okay. That's okay to give salam. The ones who are... Reading Quran... That's maybe mentioned as one of them too, possibly. Because uh, uh, they say if you're reading the Quran, 
then you're not supposed to cut off in the middle of the ayah to reply the salam. So maybe that's a disturbance to a person in the middle of the ayat as he's reading the Quran. Let him finish, give the salam to him afterwards. So these are, they mention them in recommendations. Go on, last one. If you've been patient and you've advised them and they just happen to be one of those neighbors. So then, you can take it to the authorities. Tell the, 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 the counselor, whoever they deal with these things. They, they, they come speak to the neighbor, whatever, if it comes to that. Explain to them, tell them you're making too much noise at certain times, kids, whatever it is they're doing. Right? In, your, in the calmest, politest way, give them plenty of opportunities. In the end, tell them, look, if you're not going to sort these things out, then I have to tell the council or something. If you have to do that, you have to do that. No problem. They come and talk to them. They give them, them social, social warnings or whatever else and everything. If it comes to that, nothing else is working. What can you do? We'll have to leave it there. We'll carry on next week, inshallah.